Before we continue uh, in our worship to the preaching of God's word, I invite you to join me in a prayer of confession. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you again for the uh, privilege to, to be gathered uh, to experience that unique joy of, of fellowship with uh, one another. Um, as we worship you, as we come together uniquely this Lord's Day, and as we um, lay ourselves before you in worship and as we hear from you uh, to be strengthened, to be encouraged, uh, to be filled up, to walk in righteousness, to uh, display your worth to the world and to be a testimony and a witness to the world of your great glory. We come to confess our, our sin. We confess our great need before you, knowing that uh, our sin is a separation and intimacy from you. Certainly, we are sealed in Christ, and um, no one can alter uh, that great glory, that grace that you have lavished upon us in any way. But certainly, as we trod this fallen world, as we struggle with sin, uh, as we long to um, walk in righteousness, as we uh, grow to hate our sin more fully, uh, this side of glory, we, we come to you in repentance and confession, uh, asking that you will um, strengthen us up, um, build us up, and uh, move us forward in the faith, and that intimacy might be restored continually with you, that we would know you more fully and worship you, and worship you well. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we'll be closing out the book of Acts. Our journey through Acts will come to a close this morning um, as we finish out the last part of chapter 8. We'll be looking at verses 17 through 31. And again, just by way of reminder, uh, Lord willing, as we continue, uh, as we come together next Lord's Day, we'll begin a, a little introduction into the book of Ephesians, and we'll start working our way through the book of Ephesians um, on next Lord's Day. But now we come to that final end of this long and uh, uh, historic journey of Paul. And it's been noted that the uh, the end of, of Acts, after we the, the great buildup, and my goodness, these last few chapters where we've just traced uh, Paul through all these sequences of his trials, and then finally, now making his appeal to Caesar, he'll, uh, he's going to uh, appear before Caesar, and that seems to be the climactic moment. And then Acts just sort of uh, ends in uh, abruptly. And it's a little bit of a surprise. Some even said that possibly Luke intended to write more and, may, and didn't have a, a, the opportunity to do so. Maybe it was a number of things historically that could have caused that. But we certainly know that the Holy Spirit intended Acts to end the way that it did and there is much that I believe we can learn from that and a focus that is drawn uh, out for us there at the end of the book of Acts that is fruitful. And I believe um, good for our souls. And the Holy Spirit certainly uh, brought it to this abrupt end purposefully. But that being said, the title of this morning's message is to be continued. Because that's exactly what the book of Acts leaves us with. As it comes to this abrupt ending, it is to be continued. This is a telling of the very first birth of the early church, and the church will continue. The church marches on. So it's right in so many ways that it ends so abruptly. 
But I invite you to join me there in verse 17. And we'll read through verse 17 to verse 31 through the end of the chapter and pick up this little last section here as we follow Paul now ultimately into Rome and spending his time there. Two years he'll be there that we, that we track here at the end of Acts. So beginning in verse 17, it says, After three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews. And when they came together, he began saying to them, Brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs or our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no grounds for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any accusations against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you, for I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. They said to him, we have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come here to report or spoken anything bad about you. But we desire to hear from you what uh, your views are. For concerning this sect, it is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. When they had said, set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodge, at his lodging in large numbers. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had uh, spoken one parting word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah, the prophet, to your father, saying, Go to this people and say, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. And you will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. When he had spoken these, these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among themselves. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. So here we have now the final few verses there of Acts. And we think of that as being the acts of the apostle, but really for all intents and purposes, this is the acts of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's really what acts is all about, what Christ has done. And we have seen the birth here of the early church. And so it's the history of the church here. The text ends really the first chapter as this book comes to an end. It's really coming to the end of the first chapter of the church, the history of the church. Remember all the way back in chapter one, verse eight. Do you remember that? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in, Jer in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And now Paul has arrived 
in Rome. And this really is, is a symbolic picture here as Paul arrives in Rome. It's a symbolic picture of just that reality. The gospel now has spread in, uh, to the entirety of the Gentile world. He is now proclaiming the gospel in the capital city of the known world. Now, certainly there have been Christians there prior. They, they, they came out to meet him earlier, right, as he was journeying on his way to Palmas, as they were walking, literally walking into Rome. Uh, so at separate times, uh, the groups of Christians had come out to meet them. They're there. And part of Paul's ministry, part of Paul's desire is to, is to teach them and strengthen them in the faith, along with uh, his efforts at evangelism. But symbolically, this is the picture. Here now is God's point man apostle to the Gentiles arriving and will spend two years preaching and teaching right there in Rome. And it tells us at the end, unhindered. So it pictures to us here. Here the point man, the tip of the spear apostle is now in the capital city of the Roman Empire. It's a monumental moment in church history. So mark that. And then the next breath, hold this in your hearts with great joy. It's monumental. However, the story of the church never ever, ever ends. Amen? Never. All throughout eternity, the story of the church will continue forward in the glory of Christ. It never ends. So there's your abrupt ending. It's really saying to be continued forever. So let's think about Acts a little bit here. Just, just in, Let's just reflect a little. I just want to kind of whet your appetites, remind you of what we have been walking through together. Acts really covers the birth of the church, right? It's a unique reality of our fellowship here and the fellowship of believers all over the world is this beauty of the church. And that fellowship is empowered by the Holy Spirit who is the power of the church. That's what Acts tells us. There is a power of the church, and it is the indwelling spirit of God that resides within the church corporately, personally and corporately. So what are our commands in that regard? Why, what do we do with that? When we walk, we are commanded to walk in the spirit and what? We'll bless one another and we'll bless others. It is the spirit who is the power of the church. But there's a primacy of the church as well. What is that? It's to teach the word of God to one another rightly and fully rightly divided it and in its fullness that we might mature in the faith and walk in righteousness and walk in the power of the spirit and to carry the gospel to a lost world. Part of the primacy of the church and the teaching of the word is the reality of our evangelism to declare Jesus Christ as an exclusive savior to all who repent towards God and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's primacy in the church. So there's a little quick recap right there. We have it. This is who we are. This is what we do. And now we look back on the point man and he is now in Rome. Verse 16, again, the brethren came out in that beautiful picture to welcome him on two different occasions as he's venturing in. And here, our man Paul hits Rome. 
And at this stage in history, as he is walking into Rome, Rome's kind of on the back side, the back nine of her glory days. We're looking at a seriously faded Rome. The once grand republic has now been driven to ruin by a few social elites. Nothing new under the sun. Amen, somebody. Nothing new under the sun. And at this stage, the the greater power of the Roman Empire had been given to the emperors. And the emperor that is reigning at this moment as Paul enters Rome is the notorious Nero. Murderer of his mom, murderer of his wife, shall we say, not a nice guy. That's the context. That's, that's the driving force behind the culture that Paul will enter into with the gospel. So as Paul would enter that city, he would see, as, literally, as, you, would, as you would climb the crest there, he would see the emperor's palace immediately. He would see the temples of Jupiter and Mars. And that alone, right there, as you enter and you'll see them. And that alone speaks volume to us. This is a center of paganism and debauchery, decadence. Decadence pictured there in, in the, the, the emperor's palace and the paganism temp, uh, pictured there in the temples of Jupiter and Mars, right there as soon as you enter the city. And at the time Paul arrived in the city, the population would have been about 2 million people. Most of them were poor. Most of them were homeless. Very few of them had uh, what we would call real viable homes. So most of them were just sleeping out in the city, out in the streets, literally, in the sewage of Rome. Most of them were homeless of this two million. About one million of this two million were slaves. So you had this real diverse uh, picture there, and it's not, uh, the slaves were not really drawn in a, uh, 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 drawn out ethnically like we might have think of in our history it was more social so you could have a slave that had all the the, the um the weight and the the evils that could be brought about in slavery but yet might be living a much more convenient and comfortable life than a free person living out on the streets so there was a strange dichotomy there in uh, Rome at this time but about two million people most of which were homeless Half were slaves, and many of the slaves were not part of the homeless. But actually, they were better or more comfortable lives, if you will, than some of the Roman citizens. So a very strange, strange city indeed in many ways. But Paul steps into this context, and he does so with the gospel. What are his goals? Well, there's much to like about Paul, but one thing that we can really look back and be encouraged by uh, concerning Paul, and, and we can track him a lot through Scripture. Much of the, most of the New Testament is written by Paul, uh, and this is a guy that's goal oriented. He has goals. Paul doesn't wander into any situation. Now he finds himself in some wild situations in his life as a Christian, but he doesn't wander into them willy nilly. The man has goals. He has a purpose. Two goals. So he may have had more, but two goals that are obvious to us from what we see in the text. His goals, evangelism and strengthen or spiritually mature the church already there in Rome. Straightforward, concrete goals. They're good ones. Those are good goals. He may have had more, but I know he had those. We see from the text, he had those. And he worked on them. They're good. 
So here's a little application up front by way of a question. What are your goals as a Christian? What are your goals right now? What are they? Do you have any? Do you have any as a Christian? What are your goals? And why are they your goals? Why? What's your reasoning as a Christian for having such goals? And what's your reasoning for not having any at all as a Christian? If you don't, why not? Something to think about. We're going to leave Paul off right here in terms of the historical picture of his journey. We're going to pick him right back up in Ephesians. But that's in a little different context. What are your goals? Paul had goals. He had good ones. So that brings us to uh, verses 17 through 20, 22. And there I want you to see Paul summoning the Jewish leaders. So Paul summons the Jewish leaders here. And let's just note before we, we take on this little section, I want you to note Paul's passion, right? His passion was to preach in Rome, and it's been fulfilled. This has been a long and arduous journey, to say the least. He's arrived now. We're looking at here him in context. We're looking at him in Rome now. And so his goal, his desire, the passion of his heart has been fulfilled by the Lord. He's there in Rome, and he'll preach unhindered for two years. But just note how he got there, right? There was unexpected and often painful ways that he got there. Painful ways in which God answered the desire of his heart. And so again, it's a little application up front. May we too pray that we would have right desires. Because if you do, God will answer them. He'll grant them to you. And they may come with great pain and unexpected toil and unexpected hurt and unexpected danger and unappreciated agony in your emotions. But will you resolve? Will we resolve? Will we continue to pray now that we would lay hold of them with great joy and boldness in the manner that Paul did? It was awful to get here and have the desire of his heart fulfilled, fulfilled by God. It was a right desire. It was aligned with God's will. And God fulfilled it. And you think about that time frame, that journey. What happened before God fulfilled it? Now that takes some walking in the spirit. Now he's full of joy and boldly fulfilling his goals. Paul's chained here to a Roman guard, right? Remember that? He's got a guard all the time. He's free. He's going to have a rented quarters, and he's going to be there two, two years. But he's chained to a Roman guard. Doesn't change his mission at all. That's a pretty big event. That's a life-changing event. You're just chained to a guy. That's pretty personal. That's pretty intimate. That breaks into some of your uh, reflection, some of your study time, some of your focus, some of your privacy. Hurts in a lot of ways. Doesn't flinch on his mission. Just part of the process, y'all. Part of the process. My, my, my. Still on mission. No less on mission. The book of Acts closes with an evangelistic effort. 
because evangelism is part of who we are. And Paul is a Christian, unique calling, but no different than ours in this regard. Evangelism is central to who he is. It's an effort. He's there to evangelize. He's there to strengthen the church. He's there to evangelize because he's a Christian placed by God in Rome. Because he's a Christian, that's his desire to be there. He's there to evangelize. It's a central part of Paul's mission. It's a central part of the church. And likewise, it should be a central part to us as well. So he summons the leaders. Three days, right? Look there with me in verse 17. After three days, (laughs) if Paul's anything, he's diligent. Three days. That's all it took. And he's right after it. He doesn't waste time. I, on the other hand, waste a lot of time. God help me. Here's Paul. Three days after such a voyage, right? For three days. Now, he was blessed during this time with, with uh, he was being refreshed. That's what the, uh, the verses prior told us on last Lord that we looked at that. The church refreshed him. He was encouraged. And certainly they ministered to him. But do you think he didn't minister to them as well? Of course he did. He was spending time ministering. In the three days that he's being refreshed, his three days that he's kind of having this little uh, time to spend with the brethren, he's there surely pouring fruitful ministry in their lives as well. And we can learn much from Paul here. We can imitate Paul here. We would do well to pray and cultivate the virtue of diligence. The man was diligent. He just <laughs> right at it all the time. How distracted we can be. How occupied, how occupied our hearts can be with other stuff that's going to fade away. It's going to be nothing through all out of eternity. It's going to be nothing. It's going to value nothing. We treasure them so down here. They occupy our time. We pursue them. Concern for the spiritual way of good of others or evangelism of loss is just somewhere packed away. Not for Paul. Not for Paul. May we learn from his diligence and strive to persist in our work with humility. Because that's what we see. That's just a humble guy just plugging away. And man, he's had some hurdles. Now, if we have, uh, look, I don't want to, you know, uh, impose upon you, but if you're like me and you had to encounter what Paul's had to encounter since he left Caesarea, just culturally speaking, where we are with Christians in this culture, we'd be looking for retirement right there. And Rome's retirement, you know, it's not the next mission, but that's retirement. We're expecting full medical benefits and our, and our lives need a fat pension, right? This is retirement time. Well, Paul just does a place. He's better not. Right at it. It's marvelous. Marvelous. Let us do our souls good. So it's three days, and then Paul calls together those who were the leading men of the Jews. Now, this or the, these are the Jewish leaders of the synagogue there in Rome. Okay? It's probably a couple, at least. But he's getting he's getting the 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 um the, the Jewish leaders, so it's calling them together. Now, does he have to do this, by the way? He could pass them by. How's his history been with the Jewish leaders in the synagogue throughout this, this three-year journey? How's it been? Not so good, right? He could have passed them by. 
He's dealing with the Romans now. He's going to see Caesar. That's settled. He wants to see them. He's been abused by synagogue leaders, beaten from pillar to post, chased all over the Mediterranean, from city to city. And here's more religious leaders from the synagogue, and he pursues them on his own when he doesn't have to. Why? Because his heart is full of compassion for them. He longs to see them come to Christ. Nothing about what might happen to him in terms of pain and agony takes over. It's his heart to see them come to Christ. And so he hunts them up. He looks for them. Now, certainly he would like to have some neutrality from them. Of course, that would be wonderful. And maybe that could happen. Doesn't look so much when we get further in the text, but maybe so of course he would like that. Thing is, he could have passed them by. What's good for us in terms of what we take from the test is to stop here and note that he doesn't. And we would be presumptuous to say, well, it's just because he's looking for neutrality because he doesn't really need that. He wants to evangelize them and he's willing to pay the price again. For an opportunity. So he began saying to them, brethren, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. Let's just hold right there for a moment. So here he is. And he looks these Jewish leaders up. And his main passion here is to evangelize them. And why? Well, first the Jews, right? The gospel first goes to the Jews. And he's never lost sight of that. He's the point man to the Gentiles. And here he is. He's going to to look for them. And he's going to explain to them what's going on, why he's there. But he's after sharing with them. Because the gospel goes to the Jews. First, and so he's kind of following that order here. He's honoring that. And most of all, his heart is set on seeing them come to Christ because he has compassion for them. He loves them. And Christ took the seed of Abraham, right? Christ did take on human flesh and it came from the Jewish nation. There's a point there. He longs to see his brethren in the flesh. He has a relationship with him. His heart is out to the world. His heart is out to the Gentile. But he has a unique passion for his brethren in the flesh. He longs to see them reconcile to Christ. Now, all these things are factors uh, in Paul's mind, but it's his heart that drives after them and is willing to sacrifice whatever it, whatever it might cost him to have a moment with them, to try to reach them, when it doesn't necessarily pertain to his case. So Paul is absolutely selfless here. He's just laid open and bare. He's coming in as a prisoner. And we see the heart of a Christian. The selflessness is not there. It's a self, I mean, the selfishness is a selflessness, a longing to sacrifice to get the gospel to someone else. So verse 18 explains to them 
what's going on. And then he continues to verse 19 and he says, but when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar. That's why I'm here. Now that I had an act, not that I had an accusation against my own nation. I'm not. So there is, I'm not, I'm not opposed to Judaism. So he's going to start right at the message here. I'm not opposed to Judaism. Not at all. For this reason, therefore, I, quit, I requested to see you, to speak with you, for I am wearing these chains for the sake of the hope of Israel. There it is. So what he's saying to them there in other words is actually, I am a faithful uh, uh, um, a man of God. I am following Judaism to its consummate end. Christians are really true to Judaism. We have followed it all the way to its consummate end, which is in Christ. So he's insisting that he holds uh, these central uh, principles of Judaism. He hasn't broken any, any, any laws of Judaism. He hasn't, he hasn't left Judaism. What he's saying to them is, again, in a very, very beautiful way that he's entered in here with the conversation with him. Of course, he's looking for some neutrality, but listen to how he enters in. I have not done anything contrary to Judaism. And ultimately, it's going to be, it's you. I haven't walked away from Judaism. You've walked away from Judaism. Now, that's what he's setting up. He's going to have time to share with him as we continue looking at the text. But that's what he's setting up right here as soon as he sees him. He gets right to the heart of the matter. These accusations have come against me, but I have, done no, I have nothing against Judaism. I've been faithful. To Judaism, and that's the groundwork right there for his evangelism. So just take note of that. He just sees that Judaism is, is, is fulfilled in the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so he declares that he's innocent of a revolt against the nation or against the laws of the nation or against the traditions. He adds here that the Roman authorities have not found him guilty, right? So Rome's not found me guilty. It's just that I had to appeal to Caesar because Jewish leaders continued to complain to make an issue of me. So I had no recourse. I was forced to appeal to Caesar. Christianity is actually the true fulfillment and perfecting of Judaism. That's the angle that he's going to work with them. So it's a beautiful introduction here. And again, he's addressing his issue, but he's already laying the groundwork for his evangelism. So he's putting that out there. That's going to be his platform to begin what he really wants to do with them. He wants to evangelize them. So he's saying to them, really, you know, I'm in trouble because I've been true to Israel. That's why. And the greatest glory and hope of Israel is the promised Messiah. And that's going to be fulfilled in Christ. So he professes that really Christians are true to the Jewish faith, to Judaism. And the religious leaders then are what? They're in revolt against it, right? That's going to be his premise. You're in revolt against Judaism, not me. And these chains. So there you can see the visual again. This chain. And so you can see it as if he would hold it up again. This chain is evidence that I am a true Hebrew of Hebrews. I have been faithful to Judaism all the way through, and it leads to Christ alone. The religious leaders, you, 
or in revolt against Judaism. This changed everything. Rome had no problem with me. So this is where he's coming from. It's a beautiful setup here. So look at verses 21 to 22. So here they respond back to him and said, um, they say to him, we neither, we neither, uh, excuse me, we have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come from here to report or spoke anything bad about you. Now, that's true concerning his particular case. Okay? Do, do they know who he is? Oh, they know. They know who he is. Now, it may be true, they may be honest, that they haven't had any official documents to them concerning him, but they know who he is. They know all about this guy. So this is a little coy here. The language is a little coy. It's actually so much so that uh, um, scholars have looked at Luke and kind of point the finger at Luke and say, see, this is not even historically accurate. The, the, the language here of the Jewish leaders, which it is. I mean, Luke's just reporting their lies. That's his job. But the Holy Spirit, he's just, he's just accurately reporting lies. So it, it doesn't call into question the, the authenticity of the scripture of Luke, but people have had to use that. So they're way out of line here, man. They are playing some games. But they continue. Verse 22. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For concerning this sect, now there they tip their hat right there, concerning this, and you can almost hear the disdain in their voice. Concerning this sect, it is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. So, oh, yes, Paul, we would love to hear your views. That would be interesting. Yes, please, please, let's do that. Now, what are they really doing? They're really saying, okay, you want to talk to us? You're going to make this easy. If Caesar comes to us, you're going to incriminate yourself right here for us. This is not going to be hard. Yeah, we'll talk to you. Yeah, no problem. Come on in. We'll set up a time. Tell us about this sex. Yeah, I mean, this is focus on his face. Trying to set him up. They want him to incriminate himself. Paul's not even worried about that. You think they're fooling, you're fooling Paul? No, but he's going to, they're going to sit down. And now Paul's going to get exactly what he wants. I'm going to get to share the gospel with these guys. See, he's willing to lay himself open. He's willing to put himself in harm's way at every turn because now just to get the gospel to him. You don't think he's aware that they're going to try to, they're going to, try to use this to incriminate him? That doesn't bother him. It's like, okay, that's good. We'll do that. Let's do it. Doesn't phase the man. So they're professing ignorance here, which is, you know, we focus on his face. And maybe they're waiting a little bit to hear from Jerusalem. Maybe that, I mean, that hasn't happened. And maybe they would hope that that, that would be the case. Some official documents. Because, I mean, they probably have, have gotten word at some point a lot about, about Paul. Uh, so none of this is a surprise to them. But maybe they are to, to some degree. That could be true. Um, certainly they, they tip their hat to show their colors, you know, with that, that language of sect. And they knew there were Roman churches there. So they knew that there were Christians in Rome. So they knew that. And that included many Jews. So not in the dark here, like they would appear in these few verses. That's not the case at all. We need to take this uh, with a grain of salt and um, see really what they're after here. Was Paul ready? So here, let's think about application of these, this little section here. Was Paul ready? They sought him out and didn't have to, but was he ready? 
because they have all power and all authority to make it really miserable for, for him before Caesar. They can cause him a lot of problems. But was he ready? Was he ready to step into that? Was he ready to put himself into a dangerous situation that he didn't have to do if he was only concerned with just making it easy for himself? Because that's what we have to ask ourselves as Christians. There's lots of times that we can say, okay, I could make it easier for myself if I just leave this alone, but I may not get to share the gospel. And this is the biggest level of that reality that every Christian faces. This is an example for us in scripture, in scripture right here. And here's a guy that got it right. We run into that all the time. I could share, but that, that, could, that could cost me. Paul doesn't flinch. Again, doesn't flinch. So all be like Paul here. Here's the application. Here's the encouragement. Be like Paul. We too must be ready. Be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within you. Be ready. Be willing to declare the gospel and leave the consequences to God. Now, there's no old general that's long since fallen out of favor with our culture. Some know him as General Jonathan Thomas Jackson. Some know him as Stonewall. But he was famous for saying, do your duty and leave the consequences to God. In many ways, it's just that simple. We have a duty. We have a calling upon our life. Part of that is evangelizing, and it can get dangerous, sometimes quickly. So my encouragement to all of us is that we pray that God will give us strength to say to ourselves and to one another by way of encouragement, do your duty and leave the consequences to God. Or that we'd be like Paul. But that brings us to verses 23 through 29. There I want you to see Paul labors in gospel proclamation. So look there with me, beginning in verse 23. So when they had set a day, this is the religious leaders of the synagogues there. Uh, when they set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. So Paul's preaching here just like he desired to many Jews. And he's happy about that because they're his fleshly bread. And that's not only people, that's not the only people on the planet he's concerned about by any means, but he has an opportunity. And now he's laid himself open for God to, to avail this opportunity to him and to bring it about in God's hands. So, he, so yeah, he's chained up to the guard, right? So he can't go see him, but they set aside time and they come to him. Lots of them. Lots of them. So God has created this context. Now, here's all, just, all Paul can do is wait at this point. He's chained up. So here they come, droves of them. Couldn't go to the synagogue, so the synagogue came to him. And what did he do? Listen to the language here. He testified to them. You see that? He solemnly testified about the kingdom of God there in verse 23. He saw this is what, when they come, this is what he does with them. He solemnly testifies to them about the kingdom of God. How, how does he do that? In what way, in what manner does he solemnly testify? By trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. So there's two beautiful 
uh, words that tell us how Paul went about his evangelism here. So there's a testifying, or if you will, uh, a clear presentation of the gospel, understandable presentation of the gospel. He takes the gospel and he breaks it down for them. And then he drives that gospel at them with affection, at their affections, at their will. It's persuasion. So he's explaining it where it's understandable to them in their context. He's, he's doing this. That's his testifying. He's doing that where he's making it understandable, whatever that takes. And then he's being persuasive. He's getting right to their heart, their emotions, their will, their passion, the affections of their being. He's after that. This has everything to do with your life and death forever. He's after them. And he uses the law and the prophets. He's reasoning from Scripture concerning the law and the prophets. And by the way, if the Bible has fallen out of favor in your culture, that does not reduce its power on men. You take the truth of Scripture and you just still explain it with passion and conviction and understanding and clarity and, 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 and pursuit of the affections of their heart from the truth of Scripture, no matter if it's fallen out of favor in your culture or not. That does not change the validity of Scripture and the power of God to use His Word. Does it change any of that? That's hooey from your culture that is shaped by the prince of this world who is the enemy of your soul. You shouldn't believe that. You should believe the Lord. What tells you to take the Word and go proclaim it? And here we see another Christian and another time doing just that. So this is a protracted labor of love. And that is necessary sometimes in evangelism. So it's not always going to fit into our fast-paced, got to have so many many things compartmentalized into my uh, luxurious American life. It's just not going to fit. It has to be prioritized. How long did he labor in this gospel presentation? Does anybody see that there? The end of verse 23. From morning until evening. Oh, but brother, he's chained to a guard. He didn't have anything else to do. Come on. If he was free as a bird, lots of stuff on his agenda. How long would he have labored that love of the gospel then? Let me explain to you how long. From morning till evening. Don't fool yourself. From morning till evening. Because it consumes him. Because it's Christ. Because it's Christ. What are your goals? What are your goals in life? Verse 24, some of them were being persuaded. That's mean that that's let me just keep us on track. That means some of them believe. They believe. Some of them were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul spoke one parting word. And he's going to speak to them from Isaiah. But let's just look at the effectual calling of the gospel here in verses 24 and 25. Do you see that language? Some of them were persuaded and some of them were not. And they they departed in disagreement. 
So this is a large number of Jewish leaders, and they have a lot in common with Paul in terms of their, their history of Judaism. So they have a lot in common. They spent all day dealing with this. And now this number of large leaders has now been sifted by the truth of the gospel, and that's exactly what happens when you carry the gospel to anybody anywhere. They're sifted by it. Your job is to carry it rightly with every fiber of your being, with understanding, clarity, and passion. But the gospel, the power of the gospel sifts men and women. That's what happens. And some accept it unto eternal life and some reject it unto judgment. And that's the double effect of the gospel that always holds true. There's never a neutrality there. It's one or the other. Always. Listen to the language of Alexander McLaren here uh, speaking to this verse or these two verses. The same flame in, uh, speaking into to the reality of the gospel. The same flame melts wax and hardens clay. The same word is a savor of life unto life and a savor of death unto death. The same Christ is set before the fall and for the rising of men. And as to some, the sure foundation on which they build secure, and to some, the stone on which they stumble, they are broken, and which they fall and which falls on them, grinding them to powder. Both are always true. There's no neutrality in the gospel. So Paul leaves them now with this word, with these words from the prophet Isaiah. And by the way, there was, there was um, someone else, a very well-known New Testament prophet that spoke these words before Paul. Do you know who that was? That quoted this, quoted this verse from Isaiah? Yes, it was. I heard about it like it was. It's Jesus. It's exactly what Jesus said in his earthly ministry. Verse 26. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to you, to your fathers. And he says in verse 26, saying, Go to this people and say, You will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. And you will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. And with their ears, they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. And I would heal them. So Paul leaves them with these words from the prophet Isaiah. And for all intents and purposes, this is the last words that Paul spoke to them. And it's really... A shift, uh, an epoch is closed right there. Now we think about the year 70 AD when the temple was destroyed and the temple uh, of Jerusalem. That sense has, has, has been erased from the face of the earth from that point to now. And we think of that as, a, as a, a, a shift in epoch. But for all intents and purposes, there was a shift in epoch right here. From this point forward, the gospel now, by and large, shifts to the Gentile world. Now, there is a remnant in the world of God's people, and that remnant is comprised of Jews and Gentiles, fully, always to the very end. But in historical space and time, an epoch of God's history that he is writing out in a linear fashion until he brings it to us, consummate in, we see a shift here. 
And we're left with this dreadful warning as the gospel shifts in focus to some degree, to a large degree, to the Gentile world. So this is a monumental mark in the history of the church. And that brings us to Paul's as he ministers the gospel unhindered there in verses 30 and 31. Excuse me. Let me. I'm sorry. Let me back up there and just read for you verses 30, uh, 28 and 29. I'm sorry. I skipped those verses as I was reading uh, the prophecy from Isaiah. So here's their response in verse 28. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. And they will also listen. So there's Paul's final warning to them. And then verse 29, if you're reading from uh, the New American Standard, so they're in brackets. This verse is in brackets. It just means the oldest manuscripts do not have this verse. So it's contained here, but it's contained in brackets. So I'll read to you verse 29. When they had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among them. So there again, that's the word that's not carried in the, most, the oldest, most reliable manuscripts. That's why it's marked off that way. doesn't mean that it's not in a majority of manuscripts, but the oldest. Okay, so that's how it's more helpful here in the um, uh, in the New American Standard. But that brings us so, so there's kind of that that great dread that falls here. That's what the gospel does. There were those who repented and believed on Christ, and there were those who rejected. And by and large, this Paul is that guy. He's that point guy that's marking off. Now the gospel is going to the nations in a way that it hasn't prior. So there's a moving of the gospel now, and much of that will be to the Gentile world. And the, the glory of that is that, that it will go forth in all its glory in repentance and salvation and in righteous judgment. Both are true. Both are true. So now Paul ministering unhindered. Look there in verses 30 and 31. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. So two years, and many came to Paul's rented quarters. What happened when they came to Paul's rented quarters? Well, they heard the gospel. What was his goal? Evangelism and strengthening the church there. So many Christians came, and he strengthened them in the faith. And others that were not Christians came and he evangelized them for two straight years. And he did this without hindrance. So here he is in the heart of the world's capital, unhindered. That's the takeaway truth of this abrupt ending of Acts. It's to be continued. Paul is in the capital city and it's debauchery to the hilt. And he's there for two straight years, unhindered. Caesar had every reason to shut. He could have strung him up the first day. God Almighty kept him there two years in the capital of the Roman Empire, preaching the gospel, strengthening the church, evangelizing the lost for two straight years, unhindered. Unhindered. That's why that ends abruptly, because it's to be continued. Paul ministered the gospel like a house of fire, man, for two straight years. Two years screaming the victory of the word of God to the nations. That's why it ends this way. 
screaming the victory of God's word. Acts ends as a picture of the gospel victory among the nations until Christ returns. That's why it ends like this. It's a picture of gospel victory to the nations until Christ returns. The sudden ending takes the focus off of the trial and puts it on what? We're not all going on trial like Paul. Some of us might. We're not all going on trial like Paul. What are we all going to do? What are we all commanded to do? We're commanded to evangelize. It takes it off the trial and it puts it on the emphasis of the church. This is the birth of the church. The church is to be continued. And while we're side boy, we are to evangelize. The church is about uh, taking the word of God, trusting the word of God, holding the word of God, teaching and preaching the word of God for the strength of the brethren and evangelizing the lost. That's what the emphasis is now. That's where the focus the sudden ending takes the focus off his trial and zooms in on Paul's evangelistic fervor. Now, is his fate hanging in the balance in space and time? Yep, it is. Is he weary? Yes, he is. But the evangelistic flame burns bright. There's the encouragement for us. It burns bright. He's joyful, he's confident, and he's successful in his gospel ministry from prison. From prison. It doesn't have to be plush. Hey, look, if we don't get the church building, that would be nice, wouldn't it? If you don't get in, that really kind of hurts you because you're like, man, that would be great. All you're already planning all the things that we could do. And all this stuff. Hey, at least you're not in chains for now. All right? My goodness. What are we doing? He has successful ministry from prison. Now, we have a duty to declare the word of God with boldness. We do. May Paul encourage us. And let me say this. We have much more freedom than Paul had here. He he, he ministered unhindered. But we, we in our context have much more freedom. We're not chained up. So that alone makes a difference. We have more freedom right now. Is that always going to be true for you, for me? I don't know. But right now, we have far more freedom than he had there. And he ministered from prison unhindered. You worry about your duty. Let God deal with the consequences. We have greater freedom to minister the gospel unhindered. And I want you to note here, okay, just, again, we, we touched this up front, but I want you to hold on. This is important for us. God's unexpected and sometimes undesired, from our perspective, ways of fulfilling the desires of our heart for his purpose and for our spiritual good. Now, when we think about Paul's journey, it was full of uh, getting beat up a lot. A lot of pain, a lot of bodily harm. He took some, he took some just solid beat, you know. I mean, I, I hope none of you have just seen anybody or it happened to you yourself just take a serious beating. I've seen a little of that in my life, and, it, and it's, it's grotesque. It's awful. It's scarring just to see it. And, and Paul just, you know, he took a lot of, he just took some beatings, man. He, just got, he, he got pelted a lot. He was imprisoned. It was a soul-draining voyage just to get from Caesarea to Rome. Good night. Shipwreck, bitten by a viper. All of this led to his desire. Do you see that? All of it led to his desire to minister in Rome. We cannot lose sight of that. All opposition to the gospel is really used to advance the gospel. You must hold on to that. All that seems to be opposition to the gospel is really a means of advancing the gospel. The gospel will advance, period. So why the pain? Why the hurt? 
Well, I don't know all the answers there. I know we look at Matthew 5 and we find there this language. Look, those uh, uh, who slander you, know, those who, those who um, put you down, those who persecute you, those who falsely speak all kinds of evil against you are really a means of you being blessed. It's a spiritual building up of your faith through that kind of hurt. Paul was a dynamo in Rome in ways that he may not have been if this hasn't transpired the way it did. I don't know all the spiritual depth of that, all the ins and outs of that. I just know Scripture tells us it's true. It's for your spiritual good, and it's for the glory of God. So how are we to beg God to help us respond to the ways in which God might bring us to these places of faithfulness and fruitful ministry that are going to hurt us, that are going to take a toll on us? Well, submit to them. Don't kick against the goat. Submit to them. Be patient. Accept the adversity adverse circumstances, accept them. Our proper worship is to respond in humble faith. Alexander McLaren again. He who makes stormy winds to fulfill his word and flaming fires his ministers will bend to the carrying out of his designs all things, be they seemingly friendly or hostile, and will realize our dreams if in accordance to his will, even through events which seem to shatter them. Wow. Who's the greater man? Who's the greater man here? Who's the greater man? Caesar, who's the greater man? What's the reality of life? Who's the greater man? Caesar or Paul? Paul, the lowly prisoner, had the word of God. That's the greater man. Paul, he had the word. The word that shatters and remakes the city and the empire and the world. You too have the word of God. Oh, that we may have confidence in the greatness of the word of God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you. For you alone are glorious, and you have preserved your word for us that we might go forth and carry the gospel. Oh, maybe we'd be encouraged by Paul as we finally find him in Rome. And we find him there by your good graces, by your glorious mercy um, and power that rests upon your people. We find him there ministering unhindered. May it fill our hearts. May it uh, encourage us and convict us for our duty and our calling as your children here, as you carry us forth with the word of truth that changes the city, the empire, the world. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.